Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. You follow him on Twitter. You should. His name is Padawan J. This is the way. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, so definitely join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our accounts and so much more at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. And always remember, use the hashtag ODPH. Was there going to be any other story we are going to kick off this episode with than recapping the greatness that is The Mandalorian? I mean, barring something absolutely batshit crazy getting announced or, like, revealed, no. No, this was locked and loaded. We have had this date circled on the calendar for so long it has finally arrived, and it was glorious. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking spoilers of the season premiere of The Mandalorian. So mm-hmm. if you have not watched for whatever reason, I'm not judging you. I am. Your life happens right now, so I'm, yeah, I'm saying yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm going to give the I'm going to give the excuse this week. Next week, no. But if you haven't seen it yet, pause right now because we are going to deep dive into spoilers. This is mm-hmm. what has been feared. This was going to happen the day of on Twitter at OD Parlay Hour. No, I held it for this week. So You held I, it better than some other sites, I will say that. I did because everybody knows, whether it's Dre, East Coast Avengers, Cheers to Comics, everybody has been waiting about this. Yeah. I am going to go into full spoiler land Yeah. in three, two, one. Cover your ears. He's back! He's back! Somehow. Let's go. Somehow. They still got to explain that. Oh, my freaking God. I'm sorry if I just made your eardrums pop, but the man, the myth, the fucking legend, Boba Fett is back. Somehow. Somehow, some way, the egregious way that he was taken off the board in Return of the Jedi was wiped away. No, no. He didn't fall in the Sarlacc pit. He is not dead. Far from it. Well, I mean, he could be a clone. No, no, no. That's the real fucking deal. That's the baddest bounty hunter in all the galaxy has came back. It could be Boba Fett, but cloning is a thing. We don't know. All we know is that that is the appearance of Boba Fett. We have seen his armor. How he got there, whether it's, you know, we go the old cannon route, and then I believe it was he detonated detonated something in the Sarlacc and it spit him out or something. I forget the specifics. Or they've come up with something new. Or because, let's remember, cloning is a thing. You know, you look at the prequels, then you look at what uh, Palpatine did for Rise of Skywalker. Cloning is a thing, so maybe somebody cloned him. Uh, Who knows? We're going to find out. Yes. But all I know is the man, the myth, the legend has returned. Mm Mm-hmm. For anybody that said, no, he got punked out, he's a weak character, no, go away. I don't want to hear this nonsense. All right, see you later. Get out of here. No, the man, the myth, the legend is back, but we have to explain how we got here. Mm -hmm. Because it was a great episode. So, Pat, let me start it off how we usually do. Mm -hmm. What did you think? I thought it was a great episode. I was very surprised when I, you know, because the entire first season I would watch right before I got up and got to work. They were about half hour. I think season one, the longest episode was... 40 minutes or 44 yeah. minutes. Song. So I got up, you know, Friday morning last week before, you know, before work, figuring, all right, 
you know, make my breakfast and, and have a have my watch uh, Mandalorian while I'm eating my breakfast. And then as soon as that episode is done, start making my lunch for work and get ready for work. Hopped on to Disney Plus on, on my uh, television, you know, and went, oh, shit, this episode's 52 minutes. Let's go. I had no issue with no, that. I waited no. till Friday night to watch it because obviously October 30th is when it dropped. And I mm-hmm. wanted to wait because I knew if I got up and something big happened, I was going to be a wild person. When I was out in public, and I and didn't I, want to do that. And, and I will say, genuinely, you held in the secret better than a lot of sites. There was one site, I can't, I'm not going to say which because I don't remember who it was, that given the given the end, when Boba Fett appears, had his name in the, t- in the title of the article not even six hours after I watched it. Yeah, which, come on. I mean, we knew that he was going to be returning right. at some point. Right. Like, that was no surprise. But how it was revealed in this episode was a big-ass surprise. Mm-hmm. It was the mic drop moment that I wanted to it was see. A, it was a cliffhanger, too, because they you, they get to the end of the episode and, you know, the Mandalorian's heading back into town so we can go back to his ship. And they're doing, like, the old movie style, you know, they're, they're bringing in the black bars like they're, you're getting ready for the credits. And then, nope. Just kidding. Yes. They pulled an NXT on us. They did, and it was so fucking good. Uh-huh. I seriously lost my crap. I'm not even going to front about it. I was wiling out. I, uh, I didn't absolutely lose my shit. I just kind of sat there, and my jaw was open a little bit, and I just said, well, son of a bitch. Yeah, I was like, he's back, and I would like immediately start going through the roll decks, like, okay, who am I going to call? Because I hear a lot of flack for my defense of Boba Fett because I am a very big Boba Fett fan. As is everyone, uh, you know, of a certain age and generation because he was the biggest, baddest thing in the world. Yes. I actually had a ceramic mask made. I believe in it. In high school. I believe it. In fact, I had two of them, but uh, one unfortunately got washed away in a flood. The second one I actually sold. And I am that big of a mark for him. So when this had happened, I was like, okay, let's go. But the story of how we got here, I know we got a little sidetracked, but I, I got so amped up about this. I almost said, like, the whole episode could have just been that five minutes at the end, and I'm like, I'm good. But this one really delivered on yeah, all fronts. Yeah. Because we kick off with the Mandalorian, the one only Pedro Pascal, is now on the mission to reunite Baby Yoda, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the child, yep. with uh, fellow members of his species. Yeah, and, w- and it doesn't appear that anybody tasked him to do this. It's just his conscience. Well, you're seeing the growing evolution of a character. Mm-hmm. Because the Mandalorians we've known have not really shown this much emotion. No. And it's so weird because you never see his face, obviously. You're just getting yeah. his body language. Yeah. And like I say, this is just a feather in the cap of how Pedro Pascal is playing this character. Yeah. Because you're just seeing that he wants to do something good here. He knows yeah. that he's basically become the galaxy's most wanted. Mm-hmm. But he still doesn't care because he knows in his heart he's doing what's right, which is so weird to see, but it's so refreshing. To yeah, it, it's one of the few times you, we've seen a Mandalorian do the right thing because you think, okay, Boba Fett did whatever he did for the money. Yes. You know, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, no matter what his morals, if he had any, might have been, did it. You know, you think to uh, back to the Clone Wars when you had, uh, I forget the character's name, but he was the head of Death Watch. Mm. You know, you know, skewed on the evil side of the spectrum, but, you know, definitely was more motivated, was more evil and more, you know, boisterous. Uh, and then you had some of the other folks with that kind of split off from that Death Watch, and they were very passionate, but they did it for, hey, this isn't who we are, this isn't our people. And then you flash forward to Star Wars Rebels with uh, Sabine Wren, who was very... Colorful, yes. you know, you know, uh, explosives expert, but like to put some flair and some color in her explosions. So, no, Pedro Pascal is very much the it appears. It's hard to gauge him sometimes because 
at the start of the show, he's like, you know, give me the money. I'm doing the job. Like at one point, you know, Carl Weathers tells him, oh, why don't you take some time off? Go to a planet, you know, hang out for a week. He goes, nah, give me the job to to now he's he's doing something out of the kindness of his own heart. Yeah, he's just having a, a change of conscience. Yeah. Which does add a little more dimension to the character. And I think that's mm-hmm. what you need, obviously. Yeah. Because with Star Wars, you know what the mythos is, so you definitely mm-hmm. want to add something new to it. Obviously, this show has a lot of writing on it. It delivered on season one, so starting off season yeah. two, you want to see the same vein. Yep. It does follow in a lot, though, of what season one was great for. Because mm-hmm. when the Mandalorian is on his search to track down other Mandalorians for help, which yep. I thought was a very unique take they're doing for the mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. He does approach a criminal boss, yep. Gore Koresh, yep. who is voiced by the one and only John Leguizamo. Yeah. And this all kind of goes sideways very quickly because yeah. being the Mandalorian is the most wanted. Yep. Koresh is now thinking, I can make some money if I bring him in right. or and, his armor. Right. And we also, if you also remember back to last season, the uh, cantina where, you know, or the bounty hunters guild that was on the planet, the main planet that they kept going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, uh, you know, Pedro Pascal asks uh, Carl Weathers, you know, how many of the, how many of people in here had uh, fobs or tracking devices? And he goes, all of them, but you were the only one to re- you know, succeed in bring it in. So, there were maybe roughly about a hundred people in the, in that give part, take, give, yeah. give or take. Hundred people tell everyone they know, so let's just conservatively say five people. Hundred people tell five people each. You do the math. Word travels, so yeah. the instant like, and, and let's be honest, he's not being secretive or kind of like guarded with the child. He's just kind of like he's in his carriage. It's open. It's floating along, and he don't care who sees. Yeah, which is uh, how badass is that? Yeah, I mean. There's no other way to do it. You're the most wanted person in the galaxy. And yeah. You're just like, I don't give a shit. Come yeah. get me. Yeah. And he does have this great standoff, which we have seen in the trailers numerous times, mm-hmm. that when he's surrounded, everybody draws the guns because they want his armor. Baby Yoda puts up the protective shield. Nope. Stuff goes off. The room is left laying. Great action sequences. Mandalorian mm-hmm. kills everybody there. Yep. And he gets Koresh, who's trying to run away. Yep. Gets him by the ankles, ties him up. Yep. So he's hanging a la Batman style. I had the same thought. Yes. I was waiting for him to drop him a few times before he got something out I of him. I was waiting, too. It was just so reminiscent of what you see with Batman when he has a criminal tied up by his ankles. Especially the uh, Christian Bale movies. Yes. I was waiting for, where is he? <laughs> oh, my God. But you saw he was just getting more information about where a Mandalorian was. And mm-hmm. then Koresh did give him a name, or a name of a planet. Yep. And this one sent shockwaves through the Star Wars universe, I would uh-huh. say. Yeah. And what was that planet? Tatooine. Dun, dun, dun. So now the Mandalorian and child are now on their way to Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And they meet up with a old friend, the mechanic, Peli Mato, mm-hmm. who does tell him about a location where we think the other Mandalorian might be. Mm-hmm. So the, it is on Tatooine. It's most Pelgo. Yep. So the Mandalorian does show up there mm-hmm. and has a run-in with somebody wearing a very familiar armor, mm-hmm. but is not who we think it is. No. No. Pad, do you know who this is? Uh, so the gentleman in question was a gentleman by the name of Cobb Vanth, uh, V-A-N-T-H, uh, played by the one and only Timothy, uh, how do you say this? Oliphant. Oliphant? Yes. So that was, uh, and I didn't remember the name, but I'm like, this guy looks familiar. He's been in amazing things. He justified just uh, rings out right now, mm-hmm. just just the short version yep but he has been in so many different shows and he always crushes it man so Mm -hmm. to get him on this was a big big move for them and he definitely delivered in this role yep i don't know absolutely 
So then as he's going through and we're getting a little background story of like, hmm, well, you're not a Mandalorian, Mm -hmm. but we're getting some story about, well, this armor does belong to a legend Mm -hmm. on Boba Fett. Yep. And then when you see that Vanth removes his helmet Mm -hmm. and we start getting the story of like, well, he did get this when the armor was done for scraps. Yep. And they kind of have like a little standoff where you think, okay, we're going to have a little showdown. Yeah. But then we have a dragon come through town mm-hmm. that basically interrupts that. Yep. And Vance says, I need help. If you can help me get rid of this dragon, yeah. I'll give you the armor. Yeah, because I think it, I think Vance is no idiot. He realizes that he is hilariously outgunned and outmatched by uh, Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm. You know, so he realizes, all right. If I try, you know, because the Mandalorian tradition, you fight him. And if you beat him, you get his armor. Yep. I you know this is David versus Goliath and I ain't got no slingshot. You know he he realized that I I gotta do this and I re- the thing I really liked was they made the the, the backstory of how he got the armor believable. It, it, they could have just very easily oh I found it someplace but mm-hmm. no he he was out in the desert he had this whole you know ordeal where he was out in the desert and struggling and and the, came upon. The uh, guy came upon by the Jawas and their sand crawler and they took him in and then they realized what he had and they were trying to get, you know, buy it off of him and they were offering everything. And then he looked in the corner and saw the armor because it had been salvaged in the desert, which I'm like, okay, that lines up. Jawas are, are the type of, of creatures that, you know, you've heard the saying, if it were, if it's not nailed down to the floor, they're going to take it. Yes. And you think back to Return of the Jedi and, you know, when the, the Luke and Han and Leia blow up Jabba's cell barge and when Boba Fett was there. So given how, you know, and we saw Boba go into the Sarlacc and, and so I, I obviously he got out some way where with his armor intact. So, but why he doesn't have it is again, up to question. Yeah. There's a lot of mystery, which we'll yeah. hopefully find out this I'll, season. Yeah, we will. Because they did tie and tease a little bit about what happened at the return in, or for fallout from return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. because they did say about the mining collective yep. that invaded yep. most Pelgo yeah. because after the destruction of the second death star. Yeah. The probably like the same night or the, cause that's the way it appeared. Because yeah. They, they were talking about how the empire blew up and, and you, if you've seen the more recent, you know, renditions of return of the Jedi, I guess you could say you've seen that shot where it's most easily, uh, you know, everyone's celebrating and partying. They show, you know, the, the hollow deck table in, in the center, and it's a, you know, projection of the dust, second Death Star blowing up, and everyone's cheering, yay, hooray. So literally five minutes later, this, you know, or probably the next night or something like that, this mining collective comes in and goes, yeah, Empire's not here, so we're going to run things. Yeah, so it's kind of a nice little play on keeping everything lined up because we are five years after mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi. Yep. So... To have those ramifications still involved, I think, is a great move. It obviously it gives you an idea where you are in timeline-wise. Yeah. Because they haven't really touched upon that too much. But. I don't think they've said it. Other th- all, Just other than kind of hinting that the war is over and, you know, the Empire's not really around anymore. Right. Unless you've read interviews and read, you know, some stuff online, you really wouldn't know that. No, you definitely wouldn't. So this was a nice little Easter egg, so mm-hmm. to speak, that you yeah. have an idea, okay, yeah. what's going on. And to give you a time frame of what has transpired. Mm-hmm. So as the duo is now moving forward to go hunt this dragon, they run into some Tusken Raiders. Yep. And they have an alliance to try taking out the uh, dragon and it doesn't really work out the first time. And actually uh, some Tuskens get taken out. Yeah. Which they realize, okay, we need more people. So the Mandalorian does convince mm-hmm. the sheriff 
Vanth to go into town and recruit the townspeople. Reluctantly. Yeah, which definitely... I feel like it was one of those moments where, like, he made the agreement and was like, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, uh, my buddy here will get his entire town to help us out. Yes. Will that work? Oh, yeah, sure. No, that'll work. And you know, he's saying all this in, in Tuscan Raider speak. And then, you know, Vanth goes, what did you tell him? Oh, I said your, your town was going to help us. Like, there's no negotiating. I already told them they'd agreed to it, so we got to do this. Yeah, it was a nice little funny moment. And obviously, you see the town folk are trying to get talked into this. And I love the way he presented it, too, where he's like, hey, you know, this guy's going to help us out. And, he, you know, uh, we've been dealing with this great dragon for a long time, and, and it's really causing issues for us. We got to take care of something because, you know, it's five seconds away from, you know, wanting to eat all of us. So he's going to help us out. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, one hitch with it, though. We got to help him out. And okay, sure. And the Tuscan Raiders are going to help us. What? Yeah. No. It was a perfect moment like for the show. It's the cool, dramatic moments with a little comedy thrown in mm-hmm. that doesn't feel forced. Yeah. Perfect moment, but obviously they get everybody involved. And the deal is, okay, if we help the Tuscans out here, they won't attack our town ever again. Mm-hmm. So the deal is worked. So everybody's got some deals and happening. It's like a lot of wheeling and dealing this episode. Mm-hmm. But this goes back to the whole Western feel of this, the space Western. Yeah. And as the group does make its attempt to go get the dragon out of its cave, uh, things go sideways very quick. Yeah. That obviously they try getting some harpoons and restraining it. Which is hilarious. Yeah, which is like, okay, who really thought this was going to work? It reminded me of the 97 Godzilla movie where you had the Taco Bell commercials. Oh. You had the Taco Bell commercials, oh. and he's trying and he's trying to hunt down the, the the Godzilla with the box, and he's like, oh, I think we're going to need our bigger box. Yeah. You know, it, was, it reminded oh. me of that where I'm like, oh, you are so not prepared for this. Yes, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's a perfect analogy and oh now i just have to think back to that movie mm-hmm. Ugh, three two one back so that all being said the plan is going sideways and actually the dragon is having some very unique uh, special effects moments because he's spewing venom mm-hmm. which is sulfuric yep at this point so he's yep. actually melting townsfolk yeah and yeah the raiders too so yeah Things are definitely not working in its favor. And, and, and it's funny, or not even funny, it's, it's weird just because of one of the things that he kind of tells Vanth is like, oh, hey, you know, we have to trust the, the Tuscan Raiders on this. They've studied, you know, these creatures for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Like, they know everything about it, and yet you're hilariously outmatched by this? Like, if, if, you're, if your society and, your, your, you know, your heritage is, like, studying Kray Dragons and hunting Kray Dragons and doing this, like, why are you not more prepared? Yeah, that was something I was just going with the episode. Like, I was sure. like, I, but I thought the same thing. I'm like, this is not the first time you've dealt with this. Yeah. This is not like a yeah. new character because apparently this dragon has been haunting the town for how, no, how long now? Yeah, Lord, a long time. But one area that happens is that they have a Bantha that has all these explosives tied to it, mm-hmm. which was basically, yeah, going to be the end all be all because the Mandalorian try sacrificing himself to save this town, yep. uh, which I was surprised at. I mm-hmm. really was. Not that he wasn't trying to be noble, yeah. but the fact that he was so willing to part with baby Yoda yeah. into Vance's uh, custody. I think he was just flying by the seat of his pants and making it up as he went. Yeah, which I just I thought was so out of character for where we see him, per se. Sure. Because, obviously, his whole mission now is to defend the kid. Mm-hmm. But to willingly say, you take care of him, you watch him now. Yeah. And try to sacrifice himself. I mean, a noble gesture. Yeah. But still, yeah. just didn't seem like... 
a real rational move and something we would expect from the character. Yeah, it's like come come up with a plan, write the plan down, throw the plan away. Yeah, so it definitely fit along those lines. Mm-hmm. And the Mandalorian does get swallowed mm-hmm. by the dragon. Oh, so he goes full uh, Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black 1. Yeah, which is absolutely wild. Uh-huh. He escapes the dragon, though, and sets the explosives off. I, I, I had a feeling I was like, are we about to do Tommy Lee Jones here? And yep, we are. Oh, we went fully Tommy Lee Jones. There mm-hmm. was no question of this. He just didn't need his gun back. No. And thus, the day is saved. Mm-hmm. The dragon is blown to smithereens. Yep. The Tuscans take the husk. Mm-hmm. And yep. they find a pearl, mm-hmm. which I think we're going to find out a little bit more down the road. I, I don't think so. I think it's just an Easter egg thing because at least an old cannon, it, it you know, it's kind of viewed. It's very valuable. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, it's very hard to come by. But then, you know, so and then it's kind of like a religious, you know, very means a lot to the Tuscan Raider type people. I I hadn't fully read it yet. I I saw I quickly skimmed over an article the other day, though. I guess it's got also could have something to do with like uh, kyber crystals. okay, or or something like that. So I got to dig into that a little bit more. I, I don't. I, I, maybe we'll see something with it later. Who knows? Yeah, there's just so much that left up in the air with that. Like I, I figured it was an Easter egg for something. But maybe I didn't know. No pun intended. And this, the deal is made. Vanth gives the armor back to the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and they part. So I think we're going to see him down the road mm-hmm. this series. I don't think it was one and done for Cobb Vanth. No. Which I'm okay with. Especially with the line of, I hope we cross paths again. And I'm like, all right, you're setting that up for that return. Yeah, it's definitely set up. Yeah. So the Mandalorian does, takes off with the armor. Mm-hmm. And then in the distance, just watching. Looking pissed as all hell. Looking pissed and looking like he went through something. Yeah. He looked very weathered Oof. and very scarred up. Oof. The man, the myth, the legend, Boba Fett. Tamora Morrison, who, he, of course, played uh, Jango Fett in the prequels and also played uh, all of the clones in episode three. Yeah. Well, there is one Easter egg you, did, you didn't mention, though, and you might not have picked up on it. Okay, break it down. So when the uh, Vanth and the Mandalorian are traveling along, of course, the Mandalorian has his like kind of traditional-looking speeder bike thing. But folks might have noticed, and uh, there's nothing officially confirmed about this. This is just kind of the way people are speculating. But uh, Vanth's speeder looked a little goddamn familiar, and it looked like one of the engines from Anakin's pod racer in Episode 1. Okay. A little different paint scheme. Uh, that pod was sold, as we know, and as uh, Qui-Gon Jinn mentions in episode one. So it's entirely possible that that's the only remaining piece because that was, to this point, that is the only style of pod racer that we've seen like that. So it is entirely possible that part of Anakin Skywalker's pod racer is flying around or, you know, driving around on Tatooine as a speeder bike. That is an interesting theory. It's not been confirmed, but that's the way a lot of folks online are leaning. I usually try forgetting most things from the Phantom Menace. I, I, and I, when I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, that looks like Anakin's pod. Yeah. And I'm like, and I was racking my brain. I'm like, okay, that's the only instance we've ever seen a pod racer or anything shaped like that. So it could be. It definitely could be. I mean, yeah. I, like I say, I I didn't pick up on that, but then again, I try forgetting a lot of the Phantom Menace because yeah. I really do not like one episodes one and two. Or Duel of Fates is good though. Yeah, yeah, the Fates has his moments. I I will give you that. And then Revenge of the Sith was okay. Yes, like I don't I don't mind that. But if we talk about the other two movies, mm-hmm. ah, yeah, I try blocking a lot sure. of that out. But, Pad, overall final thoughts on this episode. Incredible episode. Perfect way to come back and kind of get things going again. Cannot wait to go with uh, where they go in the next episode, which is titled The Confrontation. Uh, This one, we should note, written, directed, and produced by John Favreau. Okay, so let's go. Uh, For me, this was perfect. 
Mm-hmm. This was a standard Ma- Mandalorian episode, and that is not a knock by any stretch no. of the imagination. No, it was about as damn near perfect of a premiere as you're going to get. And then we get Boba Fett back. Yeah, that was enough for me. Like he could just came by in the first five minutes of the episode. I would say it's great, five star episode. I would, I would have given you that. But now we actually are going to get some backstory about how they're going to retcon the egregiousness that is Revenge or Return. Of, I'm sorry, uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, because I'm I'm getting so wound up because I'm I'm so happy to see Boba back. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what's going to happen here. I mean, will he go after the sheriff? That is what I'm thinking is going to happen because Maybe. now that he sees his armor, or is he going to take off and try chasing the Mandalorian? So many plot holes that we don't know yet. But going into Episode Two. And it's rumored that this is where we're going to see Sasha Banks involved as well, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So much good to see from The Mandalorian that came back very strong. You need to go watch the episode if you haven't. And if you have, let us have that official spoiler chat on social media, shall we? Hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on The Mandalorian premiere for Season 2? Let us talk. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Tom Schuster from the Game Vault Podcast, and I'm here to talk to you about Extra Life. On Saturday, November 7th, we'll be participating in Extra Life Day, a worldwide 24-hour game marathon initiative helping to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network. Starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll be playing video games for 24 hours straight, and you can watch us stream it live on twitch.tv slash gamevaultpod. We'll be playing retro games, new classics, party games, and even more. Come join the fun and help us make this the best Extra Life yet. Want to help even more? Drop a donation on our donation page at tinyurl.com slash extralife, the number five. Every little bit helps and all proceeds benefit the Children's Miracle Network. The donation page stays up until midnight on December 31st, so even if you can't join us live, you can donate anytime you want. Once again, Saturday, November 7th, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash gamevaultpod and tinyurl.com slash extralife5 for the donations. Thank you. Two, three, four. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And let us talk some more Fear the Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. Never thought I'd be doing this, but I am seriously sold on how this season has been. It's done anthology style. I'm getting more familiar with some of the characters that I kind of fell off on. Because as we've talked on previous episodes, this show has been very, I don't want to say polarizing, but Mm -hmm. very, very streaky. Up and down. Yes. That, okay, either... It really hits its stride or it doesn't. Yeah. And since it came back this episode, or this season rather, the episode started very strong with season or the premiere going into the following episodes. They've definitely not let down. No. They are jumping around a little bit. So I will say that might be something I'm not in love with, so to speak, with certain plots as I'm going to get into. Because I do want to talk spoilers about episode four, The Key. Mm-hmm. So we are going to start jumping into that in three, two, one. So this one takes off where John, who is played by Garrett Dillahunt, is in Virginia's Commonwealth and is in uh, like a sheriff capacity. And this is kind of like what he plays in here because he's obviously a, a noble good guy. And he's trying to get back to his wife, mm-hmm. played by Jenna Elfman, June. 
and is really kind of going through the motion, so to speak, of like what is going on here. So he's still trying to have that still police officer mentality that he had pre-zombie apocalypse. Right. But obviously it becomes more tough and to deal with, obviously, with everything going on. And with Virginia, obviously, running the pioneers and really kind of manipulating the situations that they're in. He's really kind of being pushed into a lot of different directions he's not used to. Mm. He does open up the episode, though. He's reading a letter that June wrote him. And they are emphasizing about a toothache he has. So he has cavities because he apparently has a sweet tooth. I didn't really pick up on this, but I'm wondering if that has something to lie into as the as series is going to go on. Mm. But as they go through his daily motions of going through the town, he does check in on a fellow ranger, mm-hmm. Cameron, who doesn't show up for his shift. Now, John decides to go investigate. And when he goes to Cameron's house, he finds him tangled in barbed wire getting eaten by two walkers. Mm -hmm. Now, this is very uncharacteristic from Cameron, so John is using his police work to go find out what's going on because Virginia is just trying to play this off like, okay, nothing happened. He was drinking. He wound up falling into the barbed wire. It's kind of a little wild scenario that she's just basically saying – this is nothing. Go back about your business. We don't want to scare everybody in town. Mm-hmm. Because it is pretty horrific. And I will say, once again, the horror element they are adding to the show is sorely missing from the main flagship show. Fear is really amping it up this season. Sure. And, and I think part of that might just be because there's not any real pressure on fear. No, they're playing it, a house money. It, it's it's a spinoff show with really nothing to build build off of. Other than just, hey, it's Walking Dead, it's zombies. Whereas with the, the Walking Dead, you know, while, yes, things have changed, we've said before, we'll say it again, there's still at least kind of those, you know, flagpoles, those those mile, mile markers that they have to hit that like, okay, going along, fighting the governor. Yeah, there's some death changes. Some folks are still alive that weren't, that weren't you know, but you knew that like, okay, we're, we're past the mile marker of the governor dying. Eventually we got to get to Negan. Mm-hmm. So like that, that's, that's kind of the pressure with, with walking dead is, you know, they got to hit these points and they got to get to those points. Whereas with fear, oh, what do you feel like doing? What, what, what do we want to do? Yeah. And I think that really helps them too, because yeah. Every episode this season, they've really taken the time to focus on some characters. And for me, coming back to the show, I like it because I get more involved with them. Mm-hmm. Because now it's like, okay, I can kind of focus a little more and really remember, okay, did I really like this character? Did I not? And why? Mm-hmm. And they're taking the time to really develop their point of views, which I think for John, who he kind of came in under the radar, and I like honestly, I didn't really think he was that fascinating of a character right he's really developed himself into like a redeeming story it feels like Mm -hmm. that now obviously he's trying to do the investigation of what happened to Cameron, and he finds an earring at the scene so he's using his detective work and the earring apparently belongs to the character of janice Mm -hmm. now this will character i wasn't too familiar with but apparently she's been on the show before and um she's somebody that has a little connection with alicia and strand Mm. and basically is getting set up for this murder is how John is attacking this mm-hmm. because Virginia is quick to say, yep, she's guilty. It was her earring. We found her done. Right. And it just goes to show of just like the governor aspect that uh, Virginia, who's played by Colby Minfie mm-hmm. is following in suit. Like she has not taken a lot of time to really, you know, go through the facts, so to speak mm. that she's being very cold and calculating and, 
and really setting her agenda up early, which, like I say, Minifee has been playing her splendidly. And mm. it's such a contrast from her character on The Boys, too. Really? So, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The Boys character is is the PR rep for mm-hmm. the boy for the seven and oh, okay she, and she she play, she does a wonderful job with it so it just it's great to see how an actress or actor can really take a role and really make it their own and then we see them in something else they really flip it and you're like okay just goes to show how great their acting is and mm. Minifee has been crushing it in, in her role here and how they're going about this is John is going up against the clock because he's trying to find a way to save Janice because at this stage is you're going to be executed and there's no rhyme or reason about it and Janice knows that she can't get out of this. Like, you know, as they're going through the backstory of how Cameron had a connection there, John is just really kind of running out of loose time. Hmm. And thus, when he's willing to sacrifice himself to free her so she can escape, he doesn't make there in time because he goes to the jail cell and she's not there. Hmm. And this, he goes to find out that she's tied to a tree outside and you can hear that there's loud music going on Mm -hmm. and she's getting attacked by the walkers that just are dismembering and just going crazy. So when John finds up finding her, this uh, he winds up having to put her down mm. to save her. And it's just one of those things that for as noble as he was trying to be and, and trying to do the right thing and save her, this was a shock to see the character get killed off. Mm-hmm. And it was something, like I say, once again, with Fear of the Walking Dead, they are bringing back that element of surprise yeah. that you haven't seen. And I freaking love this because... What I say about The Walking Dead, it, when it's the surprise factor and the suspense, mm-hmm. that's when they shine. When you hear about, oh, well, they're doing a Daryl and Carol spinoff. Right. You know nothing's going to happen to them. They could be surrounded by a thousand walkers. Guess what? They're going to walk out of there like they're Wolverine and uh, enter X-Men there. You know, it's just when you have those untouchable characters and you can't do anything with them. Yeah. You really lose the grasp of like, okay. Why Why should I pay attention? This is like a lot of times when I talk to people about Superman. Sure. And people are like, oh, well, I can't get into Superman comics. It's like, why? Not well, reading the right writers. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say. If you have a great writer that can add something to that character to really instill something in it. Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. You can definitely find something to sink your teeth into with a character and go, okay, I can understand why. And that's why I always say, like, for me, when I always preach about Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, that's the first time I've seen Batman scared. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I haven't seen this in a very, very long time. And this, and this is a character that's been through some shit. Exactly. So to flip it to the Walking Dead aspect, when these characters become untouchable mm-hmm. because of their popularity or what have you, yeah. this is where you have to say, okay, are we going to take a chance and do something here or are we not and just play it safe just to appease the fans? Yeah. Because I think if the fans would have been more respectful if you do, if you go take a shot. Mm-hmm. Because, obviously, you can only do so much with certain characters. Right. And, I mean, you kind of look at the Game of Thrones method last season, notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. But you look at those early seasons where they were, you know, they had the books were out and they had those to follow. Yeah, they made some changes to the books. But, really, the only people that griped were, like, the diehards who, who read and knew every detail of every book. I will, I will admit, I've read the books myself. It took me five years to do it. But mm-hmm. I don't remember every single detail about it. So, yeah. yeah, they made changes. But that was really the only people who griped about it was the diehards who knew everything about the book. And, and as someone who's read The Walking Dead, not every volume multiple times, but I've read, you know, a bunch of volumes of multiple times, you know, I'm, I'm used to changes from one medium to another medium. You know, Harry Potter is the one I keep going to. They kept making changes to the Harry Potter films, but none of them, there was only one that ever really bothered me. And that was one in the, that should have been in the third movie, but I digress. Mm-hmm. 
the other changes never really bother me. I'm like, okay, no, I get it. It's for movie purposes. You got to simplify the story. I'm okay with making changes to a story if it fits the narrative of what you're going for. Yeah. And I feel fear, uh, regular Walking Dead should do that. Yeah, you know, Walking Dead should definitely do that. The, main, the flagship show should do that. The main show should. Yeah. Fear is setting the example. You can do it, and you can definitely keep viewers involved. Mm-hmm. I know it's kind of wild because you don't really expect it from the show, but they've definitely taken the chances, and they're definitely doing the slow burn buildup, too. Mm-hmm. Because even with everything going on, with the individual characters they've highlighted, like I said, this episode mm. was about John, and obviously, you know, hearing the reading the letter from his wife, uh, June. I'm sorry, uh, you you definitely have okay, his story is going on, but then you have what's going on with Morgan, mm. which I do love. I mean, anytime you get Lenny James on the show, it, it's must watch TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no question about that. So when you have his story going on, because obviously he was hunted the first episode by Emil, who I, I, I'm sad they killed him off so soon because he was a perfect foil for mm. this episode. Like he had the whole Saint of Killers vibe to him of just being the, the bounty hunter that was on the mission and couldn't be stopped. But Morgan is confronted by the uh, some people that are looking for this key. Mm-hmm. And obviously we've seen them before. Um, that This key that is so well sought after everybody is willing to do something to go get them. Hmm. And during this whole thing, Morgan winds up taking one in person down by X point and the other companion is jumping out to try getting him. Morgan has to go fight him off. Hmm. And when he does this, uh, he winds up actually axing one person in the stomach. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Like they get really into it. Yeah. Well, Morgan is not playing around. Like he's back to, uh, vengeful Morgan. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Because he is not messing around when he's getting attacked. Like say he, Morgan when Rick met up with him after the first episode. Yeah, I want to say clear Morgan. Yeah. Like, yeah. that episode clear? Yeah. yeah. He's back to that kind of level. Yo. I mean, he's not, like, so uh, a suicidal mission, so we'll to say, speak. Yeah, yeah. But he's definitely like, okay, if you're attacking me, I'm taking everybody down. And then when he winds up stabbing the other man with the uh, his weapon there as well, he's now noticing that the key is what everybody's after. Mm. And he doesn't know what this is because obviously he took this from Emil way back when, when he originally took the first victim down at the beginning of the season premiere. Mm-hmm. So there is a storyline they're building up now. Nobody, I don't know where they're going with this key thing. Okay, I am excited to find out because I'm entrenched by this. Sure. Because anytime they're doing a slow burn mystery, and I guarantee you it's going to tie into Virginia. It just has to. Could be. This is where everything is going to tie in together, and it's going to be such a great payoff that I know that we're only slated for eight episodes, I believe, this second season, uh, or the sixth season, rather. Let me check. But uh, eight episodes, yeah. They're tying so much stuff together that you're not left hanging too much, mm. and I'm okay with this. Yeah. That, you know, if they're going to do, like, a split season and come back later in 2021, obviously, I'm all right with this. I'm not going to be mad because they've done enough to really set the tone for Morgan and when he gets everybody back together since they've all been separated. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page uh, for Season 6 of Fear the Walking Dead, and they do have eight episodes scheduled there. Um, the last episode they have listed there is scheduled to air on the 29th of November of this year. Uh, and then in the uh, little blurb they have for the production category of under filming and writing, uh, it does say production began in November 2019 in Texas. In March 2020, production for the sixth season was shut down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Prior to the shutdown, the series 
series had almost completed the production on the first half of the season, and showrunner Andrew Chambliss confirmed that every script for the sixth season was completed. Production was reported to have uh, restarted in late August 2020. So it sounds like there's going to be more episodes. It would make sense because if they really tie this up super quick, Mm -hmm. I I don't know exactly. I think it would pay off, but I'm just wondering like if they can drag it just a little bit more. Yeah, if they can really build some steam to it, because I'm expecting the final episode of the first half of the season is going to have a big cliffhanger. I would imagine, and even just the fact that like okay, I'm looking at future episodes. uh, All but that last episode has a title. Yeah, they're 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 deliberately not putting out what that episode's title is yet, and and it's in like three weeks. Because the major problem is they have to reunite the entire group back together mm-hmm. of Morgan's team. Mm-hmm. So I think they're all going to come back for that final episode. And I think that's where you have him face off with Virginia. Now, whatever happens after that, I don't know. But I'm locked in for this. I did not think I was going to be this captivated by it. But I am, I'm here. Like, I cannot say anything bad about this season thus far. Like, Fear is the show I've been waiting to see, and you know what? It pays off every week. Yeah. This one, like I say, kind of a little deterrent because I was not too connected with Janice. Sure. So, thus, when she got killed off, it's like, okay. But talking with some other fans online, mm-hmm. they were like, yo, this is a big deal, and this is another major character who got killed. And I was like, okay. Mm. Well, this is, what, this is what I like to see. I was just more thinking it was a better way to pay off the story because The Walking Dead, you just don't get happy endings. No, and you and so to see like if he escaped and actually sacrificed himself to free her, I I just think this plays into Virginia's character and makes you hate her more. Probably. So I'm okay with this. And whatever's going on with Morgan is very interesting because whatever this mighty key has, I don't know what's going to unlock. Maybe you'll find Rick Grimes. Maybe you know, and wherever he's locked in, you know, in whatever part of the that whole group is. Yeah, I I'll admit I did not catch uh, World Beyond this week. Okay. Uh, sorry, I had other stuff going on. Plus, I that show like I it's been okay, and yeah. I got to catch up on it. But it was like I just couldn't get that super locked into it. This sure, week. but I will tell you this: fear is worth the watch. Definitely hit me up on hashtag odph. If you have not been watching this, I recommend you start. And if you have been watching this, let's interact and let's talk about this, shall we? Because the season's been on point thus far. Four more episodes to go for the first half. Here we are. So we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi everyone, this is Mark, the DM for Stranger Damies. What is Stranger Damies, you ask? Well, we're just a bunch of first-time D&D players exploring the world of Tal'Dorei 30 years after the events of the Coma Conclave, which was made famous on Critical Role. Join us every week as we roll some dice, make some mistakes, but most importantly, we have fun. New episodes air every Wednesday at strangerdamies.podbean.com or on your favorite podcast streaming app. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. And is it Wednesday yet? Hi, this is Tyler from Second Suitor, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. I want you to get it. I want you to understand. I'm doing the best I can, but not as good as I want to be. I just want to get it. I just want to comprehend that I have to make amends with the monster. 
coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pat kicks off those one shots. Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is an unfortunate re- remembrance uh, because this past weekend it was announced via the official James Bond Twitter account that the late great uh, Sean Connery had passed away yeah. at the age of 90 years old. Although I will say if there's a way to go, it's the way he went. Uh, he was in the Bahamas. Surrounded by as much family that could get there because of pandemic in, in his sleep. So yeah. if, if there's a way to go, that's probably it. Uh, the uh, Twitter account did post. A, uh, they released a statement from uh, Daniel Craig, who is, of course, the current uh, James Bond said, quote, it is with such great sadness that I heard of the passing of one of the true greats of cinema. Uh, and then uh, the folks over who run the uh, Sir Roger Moore legacy account, because Sir Roger Moore did have a Twitter account. He has, of course, since passed. Mm. Presumably his family, I want to say, run this. I'm not quite sure. Uh, They did say, uh, however, infinitely sad to hear the news. Sir Sean Connery has passed away. He and Roger were friends for many decades, and Roger always maintained Sean was the best ever James Bond. Rest in peace. Uh, A whole bunch of people, you know, uh, put out statements. Uh, Pierce Brosnan wrote on Instagram, Sir Sean Connery, you were my greatest James Bond as a boy and as a man who became James Bond himself. You cast a long shadow of cinematic splendor that will live on forever. He led the way for us all who followed in your iconic footsteps. Uh, George Lucas, who worked with Connery on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, put out a statement saying Sir Sean Connery, through his talent and drive, left an indelible mark in cinematic history. His audiences span generations, each with uh, favorite roles he played. He was he will always hold a special place in my heart as Indy's dad with an air of intelligent authority and sly sense of comedic mischief. Uh, Only someone like Sean Connery could render Indiana Jones immediately into boyish regret or relief through a stern fatherly chiding or rejoiceful hug. I'm thankful for having had the good fortune to have known and worked with him. My thoughts are with his family. Uh, So a whole bunch of people chimed in on it, but and most notably uh, Harrison Ford uh, chimed in just the other day about it and said, quote, he was my father, not in life, but in Indy three. Uh, you don't know the pl- you don't know pleasure until someone pays you to take Sean Connery for a ride in the sidecar of a Russian motorcycle, bouncing along a bumpy, twisty mountain trail and getting to watch him squirm. God, we had fun. If he's in heaven, I hope they have golf courses. Rest in peace, dear friend. So definitely thoughts and, and well wishes to his family. There is such an iconic you know, actor, you know, played in movies such as, you know, his last film, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in 2003. Not an awesome movie, but it's a pretty good movie, all things considered. Uh, it was in movies such as The Hunt for Red October, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, like I mentioned, uh, The Man Who Would Be King, Murder on the Orient Express, the 1974 version. You know, and then Bond, obviously known as James Bond, he was in films such as Diamonds Are Forever, You Only Live Twice, Thunderball, arguably one of the greatest of all time, Goldfinger, mm-hmm. you know, uh, from Russia with Love and Dr. No. One of the most legendary actors of all time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to say he's just James Bond yeah. is is an understatement. I mean, mm-hmm. he was just iconic in everything he did. And obviously our condolences to his family, friends, and fans mm-hmm. all over the world. I mean, just a legend of, yeah. cin- of cinema. Yeah. I mean, enough said there. Yeah. I always say he's arguably the best James Bond. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I love, you know, Daniel Craig, and I love kind of the, the modern take they've had on it and, and kind of the spin they've put on that but there's just something about connery and just the the, the coolness he brings and kind of the how suave he is and just the one-liners yeah and, i mean the one i forget which film it is but he's fighting a guy he pushes him into the bathtub and then he tosses a uh small fan 
you know, the oscillating fan, you know, into the bathtub that electrocutes the guy. And he just, and he picks up his gun holster, puts it back on, and he just looks back at him and goes, shocking. Yeah. It's, it, the one-liners. You can find compilations on YouTube of it. It's just so good. The definition of cool, man. Uh-huh. And obviously, he'll be sorely, sorely missed. Yeah. Uh, moving on to some slightly happier news. Uh, this one came out just today. Uh, Ron Howard was on a podcast, uh, specifically the Lights, Camera, Barstool podcast, and spoke a little bit about Solo 2. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, he said, you know, so they asked him, you know, whether there would be, you know, we could expect a Solo 2 because there is that movement online. People would, myself included, would like to see a sequel to it. I believe the actors and actresses were all signed to at least three films. To, to do it. So, you know, there's definite interest. Uh, and then he was asked about it on the Lights, Camera, Barcelona podcast. And he said, quote, no rumblings, though. And this is not a spoiler or anything, but I think there is an interest in those characters. Uh, I think there's interest in the gangster world somewhere down the line. But I can assure you there is nothing being developed right now for a di- movie or Disney Plus. But one thing is there... Eh, one thing is there has been a lot of affection shown for Solo. And so, of course, that keeps... Uh, boding well for them to eventually turn it around, close quote. And that's the thing you always hear a lot of times. I know, you know, one of the things, uh, Greg Weissman, you know, producer of a lot of animated shows, people, myself included, would like to see come back is uh, Gargoyles. Yeah. And the thing he always keeps saying is keep talking about it, keep posting hashtags about it, keep watching it, because the, they see those numbers and they see those hashtags and they see the, the metrics. And if there's enough interest in it, they'll go, all right, let's do it. That's the one thing that I always try telling fans is like, if you miss something, mm-hmm. like a show or characters, yeah. Keep putting it out to the universe because yeah. studios, actors, actresses, production crews, yeah. read those hashtags. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So trust me, if there's enough buzz to show some interest, somebody will pick it up if the, if this, the voice is loud enough. I mean, I always refer to the Save Daredevil movement. Uh-huh. And I know that this week there's supposed to be a social media event going on. I believe it. For that because obviously we know November is when the rights are returning from yep. Netflix to Marvel. Yep. Fingers crossed, everything lines up, but it's by those movements that you're telling Marvel, hey, we love this show. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do another show with these characters, you need to cast the same people. You need to do it exactly the same way. Yeah. Making your voice heard is the way to do this. Yeah. So, absolutely. More power to it. Uh, moving on to some announcements. Uh, the Walking Dead is getting the prop, their main show uh, is getting ready to introduce the woman behind uh, Negan's famous bat. Oh, that being Lucille. We're finally going to get to meet Lucille, which I don't think we ever met her in the comics. They did the Here's Negan. Oh, uh, yeah, book. The, yeah, that's true. Uh, and the actress getting cast to portray her is someone very, very well known to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Who is it? You might ask. Yeah, his his wife. Uh, Hillary Burton. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she's been cast. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she's been cast to portray uh, Negan's wife, Lucille. Uh, this is going to be in a guest starring role for the bonus episodes of season 10. Uh, this is according to Entertainment Weekly. Uh, she tweeted on her Twitter account the other day, uh, quote, been pretty hard to keep this a secret, uh, but I love working with Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I love watching him become Negan and take on that swagger, and I love the Walking Dead family. They've been part of our family for ages, and I'm so grateful for their kindness, close quote. Love the casting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm down for this. I mean, obviously, Negan's story, like I say, I believe it's Here's Negan. It was the li- limited series they did, and they broke down like who he yeah. was before because yeah. he was the, what, the used car salesman. And, right. And, yeah, it's a it's a great story, mm-hmm. so I can't wait to watch this one. I have no, on absolutely. And, and the chemistry they're going to have on screen is going to be 
Awesome. Oh, yeah, it's going to be on point. Awesome. Uh, switching over to some Marvel slash DC news. Uh, James Gunn did an interview with Empire, and there's somebody on the Marvel side of things that knows absolutely every single thing about his upcoming Suicide Squad movie. Hmm. That would be one Kevin Feige. Oh. Yeah, so he uh, he told James Gunn told Empire that he had to tell Feige exactly why he couldn't jump right back on Guardians of the Gar- Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, this was after him being rehired for the project. Uh, he told Feige that he was working on a DC movie, to which Feige asked, is it Superman? Uh, and Gunn said that, you know, yeah, I could have worked on that character, but it wasn't the one I chose. Uh, and the, this, according to the article from IGN, uh, after telling Feige that it was a new suicide squad, suicide squad movie, Feige replied, please, please make a good movie. Just make a great movie. Uh, so the order, he went on to, to say that, uh, he told Feige all about the suicide squads characters, uh, including who the villain is, which nobody knows who that is other yeah. than, other than the cast and crew. Uh, he said, quote, Kevin knew who all those characters were for months before we revealed them at Fandom. He he still knows who the villain is. I think he's pretty trustworthy with his NDA. Uh, yeah, no, uh, he, I'd say he's pretty good with that. I would say he's on point with that. Not putting anything out. Uh, Gunn went on to say that the conversations with Disney were, quote, scary, uh, especially since Marvel missed Gunn by only one day, and it was their rival DC who hired Gunn first, uh, saying, quote, it was a happy ending, but it was also scary because I actually got the call from Walt Disney Studios CCO Alan Horn long before it was announced. It happened literally the day after I agreed to do the Suicide Squad. Uh, so, yeah, no, Kevin Feige apparently knows the entire plot of Suicide Squad. And, you know, that's cool. They just said make a great movie. So, yeah. so there's no bitterness. There's no. no- you know, rivalry with this. No. Obviously, they're mending a lot of fences from what yeah. happened originally. So yeah. I'm all for this. And obviously, Gunn will do a great job with Suicide Squad. The buzz about it's been pretty good. I'm just curious of what we're going to get from this film. Uh, it's going to be absolutely batshit crazy because I know the one thing Gunn has said when he went to go do this movie, uh, he asked the powers that be, are there any restrictions? Are, is there anything I can't do with certain characters? Because he's used to that. Yeah. You know, from the Marvel side of things, we're like, okay, you can't do anything. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy, all right, you can't do anything with the main cast. You can't kill any of them off. Everybody else is fair game. You know, so he's used to that. But no, the folks at, at Warner Brothers told him, nah, do whatever you want. Kill whoever you want. You Open palette. I think the only one safe is uh, Harley Quinn. Yeah, that's a safe. I, I think. I think. I, and uh, Peacemaker, uh, John Cena. Allegedly, though, I mean, we don't know if that's a prequel that they're doing for the HBO Max show. True. That's what. That's why I say. Like, that's a good point. He picked a lot of D-list heroes, if you can call them heroes, for sure, this. Yeah. That, with the exception of who we've seen in the previous film, mm-hmm. I mean, what Captain Boomerang, Rick yes. Flag, yep, Amanda Waller, yep. So everybody else is pretty much expendable. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not doubting. Gun kills everybody. Probably. Which I'm okay with because yeah. it's a Suicide Squad. It shouldn't. Nobody should come out of this no. unscathed or or without missing a limb or two. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, we got some announcements for when the Arrowverse is going to be coming back. Obviously, uh, they would be nor- airing normally. Uh, had everything, nothing, the world not gone to absolute, you know what, mm-hmm. uh, with the pandemic and everything. But with the pandemic, they had not been able to start filming. But the CW has revealed premiere dates uh, for the winter 2021 lineup, and that includes the Arrowverse. So uh, they're doing a bit of an interesting, you know, run out rollout with this. It's not like in years past where it's been like everything at once or like one every week. They're kind of spreading it out, and I, and I like that. Yeah. Uh, they're starting off with Batwoman. Uh, she will be the first to return uh, with season two premiering uh, on Sunday. January 17th at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so then uh, the next one up will be the season four premiere of Black Lightning. That will debut on Monday, February 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. 
Uh, and then after that, it will be season seven of The Flash uh, and then season one of Superman and Lois. Those will premiere on Tuesday, February 23rd at 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. respectively. Now, if you're, you're you know, ticking off your fingers on your hand going, all right, wait, we're missing two. Don't worry. Uh, Supergirl season six and DC's Legends of Tomorrow season six aren't included with this lineup. So that kind of lends people to believe once you hit midseason breaks, uh, you know, like they did with last year, they're going to fill in the gaps. And that's fine to do. Yeah. I, mean, I don't yeah. struggle with that, yeah. especially Supergirl's last season. I think they want to take their time with it and, yeah. and really make sure they send her off right. Yeah. So for my one shots, there was a trailer that dropped for a show that we talked about during New York Comic Con mm-hmm. that. I'm catching up on this now, and I'm going to give it a shot. Like, I'm going to give the first episode anyway. Okay. And that is Alex Ryder. Hmm. Now, this is on IMDb TV. So it's a story about Alex Ryder, who apparently is a teenager that's been subconsciously trained to be a secret agent Hmm. in the world of espionage. So they're showing a little footage of him going to, like, a boarding school, and you're seeing basically what James Bond Jr. would be. Oh, okay. So that's kind of the vibe I get from this. Uh, it looks intriguing, and I will say with the panel, they were very excited about this. It's coming to IMDb TV. Say that three times fast. Yeah. Uh, in November uh, next week on the 13th, so it's going to be something worth checking out. So I'm going to give it a shot and see. So the, for, like I said, the first trailer it definitely jumped around. It had like a young James Bond feel, and that's the mm. easiest way to describe it. And definitely want to kind of dig into it and see what's going on with it. I mean, I'm behind on some shows though, so that's right. that's the thing I got to catch up on. True Seekers just came out on Amazon too, and I really, really want to catch up on that. Yeah, I got tied up with some other stuff. And Hellstrom came out on Hulu, which our uh, shout out to JT from the East Coast Avengers. He said it was actually really good. Okay, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I got to give this a shot. Definitely, so much is starting to build up. You know, coming into the end of 2020 to yeah. watch, but you know, I still I also kind of want to rewatch The Boys because it was so freaking good. And going to the comic shops, though, mm-hmm. crazy week for Marvel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, X of Swords is still going strong. Yep. Uh, X-Men 14 mm-hmm. is coming out because I'm showing Pad the cover right now. Oh, my. And it's just Apocalypse with a very, very big sword ready to go do some damage. Also is uh, Avengers 38, which obviously that has been a freaking wild run mm-hmm. going on right now. So that is pretty much the books that are leading me for Marvel right now going into. And they also have Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood. Yep. So that one, if if you like that kind of anthology style, it's going to be up your alley. It's going to be absolutely crazy to to go on with. And also Amazing Spider-Man 51, too. Amazing Spider-Man 51, uh, Thor number 9 from Donnie Cates. Thor and Donnie Cates, enough said. Yeah. Uh, and then Star Wars issue number 8, Star Wars and Charles Soule, enough said. Yeah. And to flip it to the DC side, uh, Batman 102. Yeah. Tynan's run post-Joker War. Like, here we go. The new stat quo is being built for that universe, uh, which, I mean, like I said, Joker War did not disappoint. No. And to see where they go from here. And then also Tales from the Dark Multiverse Batman Hush number one. Yeah, the cover of this is absolutely Bonkers. Yeah, it looks freaking phenomenal. So yeah, so the description of this on DCComics.com reads, uh, Following the smash success of last year's Tales from the Dark Multiverse series, DC returns with five new tales that explore dark, twisted timelines spinning out of some of DC's most iconic stories. It begins with the story that kicked off the modern era for Batman, Hush. Uh, the landmark story introduced Bruce Wayne's childhood friend, Tommy Elliot, as he tried to destroy the Dark Knight. But what if Tommy had ruined Bruce's life when they were children? Tommy Elliot grew up to be the Dark Prince of Gotham City with the help of Talia al Ghul, Oswald Cobblepot, Harvey Dent, and Jason Todd. But vengeance is coming in the form of Batman the Silenced, who will tear Tommy's life apart. Written by rising star Philip Kennedy Johnson uh, from The Last God, 
with jaw-dropping artwork by Dexter Soy from Batman and the Outsiders. Yeah, that looks absolutely crazy. The cover alone is worth your purchase. Yeah, no, that's why I say, like, I'm watching this cover or reading this cover. I'm like, this looks fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. So much good stuff coming out, too. And I definitely want to plug again Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin. Okay. Freaking phenomenal. I, I got a chance to really sit down and, and do a deep dive read on it. Absolutely worth the time. If you are a fan of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mm -hmm. not the ones you really see on the movies and in the cartoons, but I'm saying the old school comics, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird are getting back together for this, Mm -hmm. and this is a dark, brooding read. It's a fantastic job that IDW Publishing did for this, and it does not disappoint. This has like just so much grit to it Mm -hmm. that you'll definitely be captivated by it, and I can't recommend it enough. I uh, definitely got to give a shout-out to Cheers to Comics about this because I know Brian's been raving about this as well, and rightfully so. Yeah. So if you want to find out more about that, head over to your local comic shops and go show so show some support to them, and definitely check out some great fellow uh, comic podcasts such as Cheers to Comics, Wednesday Pull List, uh, East Coast Avengers. I mean, all our, our friends here on the independent podcast community because we are all talking about this book right now. So this is definitely worth your time to go pick up and hit to your shops and go get some reads. So that all being said, the music you heard on this episode is that of Shout at the Robots. Now, they are great friends of ours. They just opened up a Patreon pad. Oh, boy. And they have merchandise coming out left and right. They are really cranking that out. So if you are looking to get involved with more Shout at the Robots, and you should because they're amazing people, head on over to OchoDoroPolyR.com and hit the music section where you can find out about them. Brian Wolf, who's doing Patreon Wednesdays on Facebook. Okay. So he's doing a little live introduction for that. A lot of our uh, fellow musician friends are doing Patreon these days. Good for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, during this time period, this is one way to really connect with your fans, and they're definitely making it worth your while, too. Yeah. And you can check out all the great music music you hear on the ODPH from all the bands there. You can all head over to the directory where you can check out Friends of the Show. You can check out Organizational Links Support Black Lives Matter and all the amazing pod groups that we're in via their pod chaser pages. Shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to Legion Independent Podcast. Shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. Shout out to the Apocalypse. And, of course, shout out to Hashtag 607 Podcast where you can find out everything going on with our friends over at 8122 Productions at their webpage and at their Patreon, patreon.com slash 8122productions. All that and so, so much more at ochoduroparleyhour.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J, 161 days, still no HBO Max app on Roku or Amazon Fire TV. Nobody, and I mean nobody, gives you those stats like Padawan J. And one thing before we go, uh, there's some rumors floating around about WandaVision and uh, some certain characters that might make an appearance. Uh, I've got it from some sources that those rumors are true. The plug has struck again. Ooh, you got to hit me with that before I got to do the outro? Uh-huh. Ah. Between that and Boba Fett, man, it's been a great episode. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Uh-huh.